This is the naturalist. In every podcast episode, we're going to highlight the products, ideas, trends that are shaping the CPG industry. Or that we just really like. And I think, you know, there's a lot of demand that's largely driven by the consumer. Consumers are, you know, from time to time, we start reading all these reports, market reports of research saying how younger generations, especially Gen Zs and millennials are so, you know, uh, environmentally conscious. By and large, you know, better for you, products that they've indulged in in the past that they can feel a little bit better about. These are lasting trends, you know, year over year. They're willing to spend a bit more on something that they know they like, but uh, is made with more integrity, is made with better ingredients, is better for the environment, checks other boxes. They suggested that foie gras might not have as much of, plant-based foie gras might not have a lot of an impact. I was like, what do you mean? I eat foie every day. <laughs> yeah, I was probably the one to yeah, say that. I love that's swapping it out. Yeah. Had a long history of animal cruelty that could be avoided. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hello. Hey, Adrian. How's it going? Good. How are you? Really good. I can't, I'm in this moment though where I can't really tell am I hungry? Am I not hungry? I know what that means. Yes, it means we just did some nexty judging. So no real meals today. No real meals. Lots of snacky fingers and things that don't really go together. Sounds great. Yeah, it's great. It's one of my favorite things that we do here. Okay, so how many uh, how many nexties have we judged? Do we know how many? Historically? Have? Historically. What this number? This is our nexties? 11th year of nexties. 11th year of the nexties, yes. and it's our second of 2023. Yes. So it's it's been a year. Yes, and I know that you're always like, very energized by what you see at the nexties. If you could say, like, what's one thing that has stood out so far about this nextie that is different from all the others? Ooh, that's a good question. Oh, man. Well, I guess I could say in three words, Koji foie gras. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I know that just exactly sums up the whole experience. That it all up, yeah. <laughs> Well, I know that it's also a really exciting time for all of us because we're heading into Natural Products Expo East. So many of those companies will be able to see on the show floor at East and in the innovation experience. How many nominations did we have this year? We had around 400 nominations, which is really exciting, and that's across 20 categories. So we had our 19 categories that we had last year and that we launched at the beginning of 2022. I had to think of what year it was. And a mystery category, which is really exciting. This is only exclusive to Expo East. First time we've ever launched it. This is this year, and it's innovation experience. So best new innovation experience. So that's that's something to look forward to. Yeah. And for those who don't know, the innovation experience is something that we're launching at Expo East this year. It'll be in Hall A. And it's really meant to showcase all of those responsible innovations that are entering the CPG industry, whether it be a responsible use of technology, a really breakthrough sustainability innovation. There are so many cool things happening in the CPG industry, and we really want to highlight those on the innovation experience part of the show floor in the innovation experience show floor. So very cool. And I'm so happy that we have a category dedicated to that. Yeah, me too. It's been really great to see what kinds of not just what we think of as innovation, but what brands themselves think of when they nominate to that category. So 
huge range of projects, products, everything from regenerative organic certified um, brand that, um, of hemp to, you know, completely other end of the spectrum, plant-based, koji, foie gras. So, and everything. I can tell you like the koji. <laughs> we get it. You like the koji foie gras. Sometimes as I say these things out loud, I think, wow, I really never <laughs> thought in my entire life I would say those three words together. Oh, man. Most of the things we say at New Hope are just like, wow, did that really come out of your mouth? Okay. So we have two great guests here today. Two of our guest judges for the next D Awards. Yes, we have got Douglas Yu. He is the senior contributor to Forbes and also an angel investor. And then we also have Emily Schilt. Emily is the founder of Pop-Up Grocer. So welcome. Thanks for being thank here. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. The Tanili's been delicious. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun to have people on the podcast that are actually in the office in person, but even more fun when people travel you know, across the country to join us for the next year awards judging. So where are you both coming in from? Uh, I'm coming from New York. Uh, I live there. Pop-Up Grocer's new flagship location is there. Uh, so yes, very much uh, a long way and very happy for the weather and the lack of humidity. So thank you so much for the rain. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'll swap with you though, because I have humidity. You do? Right. Weird. That no, that's really weird. Yeah. Like, I mean, my hair goes crazy. I'm just crazy. But I'm like, I just love it. My skin. You like to sweat. Yeah. 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 Can't relate. Okay. Uh, now we have a topic for our next episode. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about Pop-Up Grocer? Sure. Uh, so we started in 2019, about, what's that, four years ago. And I really saw the need for a physical destination for discovery of new products to market. I felt like they're really hard to find on the bottom shelf or the tippy top of a big grocery store. Um, or these brands just aren't given the chance to be there in the first place. And so I wanted to give them a space where they could uh, be easily visible to the consumer and invite consumers in for a fun experience that feels very different and distinct from their typical grocery shopping behavior. Um, so that's what we do. And we did it in the form of 30-day pop-ups. Uh, we've gone to seven cities, had nine pop-up shops um, over the last four years. And now we just opened our first permanent store where we will rotate the products uh, um, on what we now currently plan to be a quarterly basis. Uh, and so people can come and rely on us uh, always now um, for that destination for discovery. Must be nice to just be in one place for a while, too, after all that movement. It is. It also has its own challenges, which I was briefly uh, illuminating you on before the podcast, um, which is just, you know, what comes with and always on uh, 365 um, brick and mortar. But uh, I have to remind myself every day that I asked for that, you know, um, so <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah. And Douglas, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. The judging process was so much fun and smooth, and there were a lot of thought-provoking conversations I feel so privileged to be part of. Um, so thank you so much for the invite. Yeah, well, we're so happy that you're here, and you have not seen anything yet. We do get a little bit um, more knocked, knocked down. I don't know. People get really passionate about the products that they love, and so today I think went pretty um, passively, I'd say, peacefully. <laughs> But it could get ugly tomorrow. Is that because I wasn't there? Like, <laughs> like, I heard coincidence. Did you think because yeah. I was looking at you? I was like, <laughs> <"Sign> <laughs> <at me." laughs> 
So Douglas, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Douglas. I'm a senior, currently a senior contributor at Forbes. So I lead the coverage, a lot of exclusive financial news um, in the entire food and beverage space, you know, from plant-based food, food tech, uh, confectionery, snacks, to a lot of innovative beverages and so forth. Uh, so I started my career at Food Navigator. So I was writing for the sister publications, confectionerynews.com and bakerystacks.com. So baked goods, anything that's you know, crackers, cookies, um, or especially chocolates. And those are my sweet spot <laughs> that I've been covering for years and years. So eight years um, as a journalist, I'm still really, really passionate about these particular two categories. Um, but the more I covered entire consumer trends and the overall CPG space, I realized that there's a lot of crossover, right? There's a lot of mutual learning experience from different categories of beverages can be stacks, right? And then a lot of stacks can you know, cross into the baby food category and so forth. So it's very evolving and, and di dynamic industry to look at. It's just so much fun to, to be part of that. What were some of the things that you were excited about at, during judging today? Absolutely. So there's a lot. <laughs> and I think we, we don't lack of that, especially with New Hope um, at Expo. You know, it's always a, a discovery experience. I think food, it's so intimately intertwines with our cultural experience um, and human beings relationship with our planet. So increasingly we start to see a lot of brands are weaving the environmental piece, the aspects of how do we source ingredients, whether we'll source them responsibly or whether we're using regenerative agriculture to be part of that conversation and conveying that message to our consumers. Consum consumers today can be better educated than ever right, about their purchasing decisions, whether they can be part of that movement, movement or not, right? So I think this is actually on a higher level, on a macro trends level, this is what we're seeing across all brands, you know, whether they're using walnut as, as a single ingredient or they're using, you know, plant-based to reinvent um, traditional protein category. And the missions are very, very clear. You know, how do we create a better products that are better for not just consumers? And we're talking about the entire planet, right? The cornerstone of our capitalist society, which is the, which is farming and agriculture, and how they interact with each other, how we build the bridge between the two. So that's the most fun part. What I was thinking as you were saying that last part, I was thinking a little bit about that product. We had a product that people loved today, which was um, small hold, which is a mushroom pesto. That product was amazing. And I was thinking about that. It's made by the farmers that grow the mushrooms and they sell the produce. And this is their CPG product that they that they make with their leftover mushrooms. And it's a finalist in the condiment, sauce, and dip category. And um, that really kind of, you know, bringing that message, this is the product, but bringing it back to the farmers and the people that actually cultivate the mushrooms. I just love that tie between, you know, what we eat and where it comes from. So I have a question for each of you related to that. Maybe I'll start with you. So from a pop-up grocer standpoint, you know, these companies that have a really strong mission and then you have consumers coming in just probably wanting to discover something for the first time. How do you tell that story in a short period of time? You maybe have one chance to get that shopper hooked on a mission-driven company. Have you seen that work in your store? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the toughest part, really. Uh, and when I first started Pop-Up Grocer, part of what I wanted to do was bring 
what I, I bring a lot of D to C products um, to the physical shelf. Uh, sort of a new trend, or at least a new initial channel for food brands. Uh, and with D to C, and that was a really uh, enlightening experience for them to go to retail, to go to from D to C to retail, because the context of a website can do so much to help sell your product. Right. Um, and pe once people go to your website, you have the opportunity to capture them for a long period of time in your about page and tell your founding story and go through um, your sourcing criteria for your ingredients. And, um, you know, I think people are willing to dedicate more of their time to that experience as well. Whereas in a store environment, it, it's immediate. Um, and I don't know what the statistic is, but I would say, you know, it's probably like two to three seconds or whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you get them or you don't. Um, and so a lot ultimately just comes down to packaging. And um, I would say, you know, you have to first attract them and, and that uh, means perhaps like vibrant use of color and interesting typography. Um, we were talking today about some like characterization and illustration elements that have become popular. Uh, but then beyond that, it really become, comes down to the hierarchy of communication on the package itself. Yeah. Um, and so you really have to know what your consumer cares about uh, within the many aspects of your story, which I think is a difficult thing for a brand to really get a hold of because they're so involved in their story and every part is so important and they're so passionate about it. And I really respect that. But um, you really have to understand what people are seeking, what information they are seeking, um, and the level, you know, the, the priority uh, of those elements to them so that you can align your communication on the package itself. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And then Douglas, for you, I'm curious from more of the investor perspective, how important are those environmental and mission attributes to investors today, as opposed to what it looked like, what that landscape looked like maybe two, three, five years ago? Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's a lots of demand that's largely driven by the consumer. Consumers are, you know, from time to time, we start reading all these reports, market reports or research saying how younger generations, especially Gen Zs and millennials are so, you know, uh, environmentally conscious. Yeah, look what happened in Montana today. What happened? We I've seen. <laughs> we, we've been judging. <laughs> I've been on my video meeting that day all morning. The um, climate, the climate case in Montana, where these young people came and and uh, it was a big um, a big case that they won and said we have a right to clean a clean, healthy environment. So it was kind of the first wow. environmental mm -hmm. case, and and it worked in their favor. So. The judge, um, yeah, wow. it's really interesting. But yes, yeah. young people, young people sure. are taking a stand both in the legal system and the courts, and then mm -hmm. with how they how they spend their dollars. Yeah, and I would say as we're judging, you know, going through the, this judging process for the products, but at the end of the day, consumers are the really they're the real judges for our products because they will vote with their dollars. Yeah. Um, and increasingly, we're seeing you know this shift from. Uh, traditionally, you know, very highly processed food to natural and organic products, the, the evolution of clean label, which we've been really talking about that trends like since 2015, 2016. Right. And that trend overall is still growing. And I think what really resonates with, you know, Emily mentioned earlier, the retail, the brick and mortar store environment is so different from the internet. And when you have a bunch of uh, internet favorite brands, you know, mostly our really popular DTC brands, consumers will actually actively do their research and say, 
hey, what kind of ingredients they're sourcing from and whether they're responsible for the source of their ingredients, whether they're res responsible for the farmers. And that way they go to store on average takes really just two to three seconds for them to identify a product. And a lot of them in a mass retail or a club channel, especially they will traditionally will go to products that they're already familiar with. So not necessarily if you think about mass channel or a convenience store, right? It's not necessarily a place where people would discover new brands. Will people will scan the QR code and learn about the sourcing and, and all of that? So if we have a brick and mortar store like Pop-Up Roaster, I think if you know you guys are done amazing job. I would just insert a compliment there. <laughs> amazing job in, in terms of for consumers to learn about like in, in, in real life, in reality and say, hey, how can we do better on a consumer end to make our food ecosystem so much better? Right. So consumers care, so therefore investors care. Is that how? And investors care. Yes. Yeah. See, we're start to see a lot of VC funds out there um, that are really heavily invest in underrepresented founders. You know, funds that are focusing on women, BIPOC or LGBTQ. Because let's face it, this is the harsh reality. Only a very, very small percentage, like single digit, of VC money would actually go to female founders, and that's so. You know, that puts us in a very stark contrast with the reality, which is the average household purchases, like 70, over 70, 90% of them are done by women. And if you look at so many categories like jerky, energy drinks, um, coffee, a lot of branding are really geared towards masculine, you know, male dominated sort of branding, right? Um, typically using the darker color or some, you know, more masculine symbols, and which is not it doesn't really necessarily re represent and resonate with, with the purchasing trends. Mm -hmm. um, so now we're seeing brands, not just brands, but investors are very conscious of moving that, like turning that shift altogether, which I think is where we're going, heading into a very healthy direction. So overall, investors focused more on representation in our food system, on environmentalism and a positive mm -hmm. environmental impact. At the same time, and you said things are looking really good for the industry, which yes, but isn't it a really hard time for founders to get any money? Like what's going on? <laughs> I think it, in general, we're, we're very scared. We have the looming recession that we've been talking about for, for a very long time. And last year, and this is just the reality we're seeing, you know, the, the vegan and plant-based trend is still there, but we did see like a landfall um, revenue of the plant-based meat category. Uh, but I do want to clarify a few things here. Just because we're seeing landfall doesn't mean that trend is not still evolving. Maybe it's like consumers are moving towards, let's say, a, a burger, right? A beef patty towards like chicken to other like protein categories. Um, or uh, there are more and more brands that I see in the marketplaces that brands are actually putting these alternative protein into usage. Let's say let's create a pizza. Let's create a uh, Jamaican beef patty, but let's using the alternative protein instead, right? So that kind of increased the use educations versus, hey, I will give you a chicken nuggets, do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's it's kind of push people to be more innovative, to be more innovative, and, and really be, differentiated, right? To be more involved in a traditional comfort food, yeah. Um, telling people, hey, we actually can present that in a burger or present that in a Asian bun, right? But using alternate protein instead versus like giving them a material and having them like passively to coming up with a formula, whatever they want in their own kitchen. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I can only speak to um, the challenges that I have encountered talking with brands themselves about uh, raising capital right now. And I think by and large, they would 100% say that it, it sucks and <laughs> it's incredibly difficult and more so particularly um, for women, for women of color than it has ever been. Um, actually, funding for women has declined year over year in the last couple of years, which is um, super bummer. Definitely uh, not a stat. We want not a stat we want. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, I do agree, I think, with what Douglas, uh, a part of what Douglas is saying, that we're also moving in a, in a good direction for the brands, too, for the companies themselves in terms of, um, you know, profitability or at least thinking more about that. You know, we were um, in a period where there was just like ridiculous sort of um, uh, irresponsible spending uh, or maybe just, you know, like a, a lack of direction or focus. And so I think that is forcing that upon companies, which really is, is a very good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully they won't be. I mean, we talk about this a lot, kind of trade-offs and where they'll save money and hopefully they don't save at the expense of some of these the integrity of their products yeah absolutely yes so let's shift gears just a little bit and talk about just some of the trends that we maybe have seen during nexi judging or that you're seeing consumers asking for in their in your store or you know just what are some of those you know, real concrete things people want. I mean, do people care about, we talk a lot about regenerative agriculture. Do people know what that is? Do your customers come into the store and do they get excited about that? You know, what kinds of things are you seeing um, in terms of what your customers are actually asking for? Yeah, I feel like I can be the downer deb in the conversation around innovation when it comes to what consumers actually buy and care about. Um, because my experience is that consumers are still at a quite um, premature stage with their familiarity and education around a lot of the things that are very familiar um, and almost like passe to us. Um, you know, like they're just getting onto mushrooms now, you know, and I feel like we've all been talking about mushrooms for years now. Um, so that's just one example. But I think uh, by and large, you know, better for you products that they've indulged in in the past that they can feel a little bit better about these are lasting trends you know year over year they're willing to spend a bit more on something that they know they like but uh, is made with more integrity is made with better ingredients is better for the environment checks other boxes um, is anyone directly coming in right now asking I mean is anyone yes uh, asking for products uh, produced with regenerative farming, for example, yes, but are they the majority? Absolutely not. Um, I think at the end of the day, people just want to um, feel a little bit better about the purchases that they're that they're making um, and do that, you know, not very far outside their means or far outside what they were spending previously on something that was, you know, not quite as well made. So given that, what would you tell brands to do to really differentiate their products, you know, or really to stand out when they come to you as a retailer, you know, want you to carry their brand, you know, how can they stand out on the shelf? Yeah, I think brands that have done really well uh, for us are those that have a very distinct personality, that have a very distinct, um, clear set of values that align with their consumer, and they've done a really exceptional job 
from a marketing perspective in terms of honing those things, uh, honing in those things in the public sphere. Um, so, you know, people will come to our store specifically wanting to taste for the first time X brand because they've seen it on TikTok or they've seen it on Instagram um, or they read the founder story, uh, you know, in some media publication. Uh, so I know that requires a lot of effort on the brand's part and, and perhaps capital, which is where these things go hand in hand. You know, you can't have amazing packaging from a branding design studio without the means with which to do that. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, if you ask me, this is just a capital intensive business now. Um, it's really hard for a farm stand brand to uh, succeed at scale. Uh, and so... Um, yeah, that, that's just that's just some sort of a fact of doing business. But yeah, I think that if you can cultivate uh, that brand, that personality, that community, independent uh, of any specific retailer, um, then you know you can be really successful at chill. I actually would love to like take this Debbie Downer thing. <laughs> Let's just go with it. Yeah. For both of you, can you also channel your inner <laughs> What is something happening in the CPG industry outside of like, you know, industrial farming and things that were probably all of us in this room are like, okay, no, but just like a trend maybe more in the natural and organic product industry that you think is completely ludicrous, waste of time that you wish wouldn't be getting the capital or the consumer attention that it is. This might kill my business. Um, so, you know, this is a slippery slope. I was just thinking, how honest. I know. I told Adrian, you know, I'm in the business of being a people. Ple I like everything. You know, we, we, we showcase everything. I think, so I'm going to be careful with how I word this, but I think, you know, we've gone, oh, we, we've taken some drugs on the functional benefits, in, in my opinion. I think we've, we've taken it too far. Like, I as a consumer and I as a retailer don't need everything that I eat to also have this and also have this and also have this. Like it can just um, be a really, really strong example of, of uh, you know, just a product with integrity and, and, and have it be what it is. So I think in terms of making our products more distinct or differentiation, we've gone a little bit too far in that direction as far as added benefits. Uh, so I think we could pull back on that quite a bit. So next year we need to have a best new non-functional food or beverage category. The next year. I mean, also consumers <laughs> still do. don't know what adaptogens <laughs> are, you know, and like we're putting them in everything. Like yeah, that's just, yeah. I don't know if that's really helping you. Yeah. Right. Hold the adaptogenic cookie dough. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need it. Yeah. Yeah. It's my turn to be Debbie down. <laughs> <laughs> I would just say there there are two types of people um, in our industry. There are people who work. Actually, there are people who work in natural organic products industry, and there are people who don't work in natural products or organic, like an organic products industry. Is that there's definitely a very, very significant like discrepancy between the consumers' mindset, the actual day-to-day -day consumers, like what Emily said. If you ask them what sustainability is, you know, so ask them simple questions like what adaptogens are, what they're doing to your body, to your mental health. A lot of them can't really come up with a very, very clear answer. And I remember I was doing. Uh, an on-camera interview like years ago was like when I was a junior reporter just you know going to a, f a farmer's market in Chicago asking people uh, I was holding a chocolate bar and they said this this chocolate is Rayforest Alliance uh, certified or something is fair trade like what does that mean and asking a bunch of consumers with different age groups and, and backgrounds and some of them get back to me and say hey that's probably like it's healthier for you <laughs> 
but as a matter of fact, we know that you know that part of sustainability has nothing to do with the uh, the, the products, the mm -hmm. functional benefits. So I would say moving forward, um, especially last year, like we definitely see a, a slew of CPG brands that like I'm talking about emerging brands, brands that are pre Series A stage. There's a trend of going into going back to the real food, like actual the real food. We're not doing uh, alternative protein. We're not doing food tech, but we are trying to innovate. Like these brands are trying to innovate probably 30% like better than the market incumbents. Let's say we are all eating mac and cheese. That's been a staple in American household for decades and decades. But how do we spin on that? You know, make us slightly better. Uh, use less like synthetic ingredients, but in, in we're using real protein, you know, real cheeses that we're not trying to go plant-based, but just like slightly better. Right. How do we do PBJ sandwich? How to do that part better, you know, by spin off certain ingredients, by adding a little bit more functional ingredients better in the meantime, without deviating too much from what consumers already used to and they've been familiar with for, for a long time. And those products seem to be performing the best mm -hmm. um, just from data we saw last year. Yeah. I feel like that was not Debbie Downer. That was pretty positive. <laughs> I think the the most memorable thing from today uh, in the judging actually was something that you said, Adrian, which is that like as leaders in the industry, it is our job to drive forward progress and change. Uh, maybe I'm not capturing what yeah. you said exactly, but I think that is the tension uh, for me and perhaps for all of us mm -hmm. is that that is our job, and so I for example, want to retail and showcase all of these incredible products that encapsulate such creativity and curiosity about the world and its potential, but it isn't necessarily going to sell today. You know, we're not quite there. So I think it is uh, the, our job and we should support these creators. At the end of the day, 90% of products will fail. So if one adaptogenic shakes out, for example, and that drives forward some, some change there as far as functional benefits, well, then that's just how it's meant to happen and, and progress. But yeah, I think ultimately, you know, that is that is the struggle. Beautifully stated. <laughs> and I'm sorry I missed your your beautifully stated moment in there. That's great. <laughs> like you captured the mission of the next days very well. Yeah. What was your favorite moment of judging today? I was really happy to see things that I haven't before, which is typically very hard to do for me. I feel, yeah. I feel like I'm at the front lines of, of the innovation and the emerging brands. Perhaps, you know, we, we look only at new brands introducing new products. So today we saw some from brands with a greater history and just introducing new products to market. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I was just delighted to, to see some new things. Yeah. Is there a product that you would want to, that you would like to have in your store? Yes, I, uh, cleanery. Foaming hand wash. Yeah, foaming hand wash, you know, kind of checks all the boxes. It's, it's one step better for people, an easy trade up, uh, affordable price point. When you consider that one sachet is the whole bottle, I thought the branding was strong, clear, attractive, you know, it, it, it checked all the boxes. So yeah, that one was great. And I, I too was really excited by the taste and what I believe to be the first product from small hold apart, you know, the packaged product. I've only seen their mushrooms before. So that was really exciting to me too. And I would say, you know, besides the super innovative products that we saw today, engaging conversations with fellow judges, that's, that's always the fun part and see people from 
different perspectives, you know, from a retailer's perspective, from a writer's perspective, and how do we evaluate products, whether they're actually innovative or not. And I think that's a, that's a very interesting part. But the product itself, like we saw uh, sustainably sourced kelp using the, this kimchi sauce. And I think that's, that's super delicious. And this ingredients has been, you know, seaweed has been introduced slowly to, to, to the U.S., to the mainstream consumers as a, as a snacks for several years now. But now it's just, there's a stronger force like pushing this ingredients into, into the market. So not just the right. snack, but actually as a salad, right? As a, that was the Atlantic Sea. Exactly, as a, as a condiment and, and all that. And actual veggie has done, I think it's has done an amazing job with a truffle sauce mm-hmm. veggie burger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a classic example of, you know, resonating what I said earlier. They're not trying to do it an alternative protein, but what they're trying to innovate is like 30% better or 60% better than bigger conglomerates that has been, you know, grocery aisle for like decades. Putting um, those vegetables first. Exactly. Exactly. We actually had another, you missed the first category we did this morning. We did savory and salty snack, which was a great category. And we had another seaweed product. There are sea monsters, the sorghum seaweed. I love sea monsters. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Really good. I love that that was the first category. Yeah, we just started it up. (laughs) I saw a Dodi. He's like, I just got done with savory snack. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. If if you had, uh, if I give you $500,000 to invest in any company you saw today, which one would it be? I would say Sea Monsters. I actually met really well. uh, Friendly with the founder. uh, An incredible story. Mm -hmm. And I'll also, you know, resonates our our Asian heritage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then using sa- seaweed as a as a key ingredient. Extruded snacks is a very very big category. That a lot of conglomerates actually been on an acquisition spree over the past several years. So if you think about Private Booty, that was acquired by by Hershey. Sea monsters are actually in a very similar category, but their ingredients are more sustainable. They're better for you, and they're actually delicious. And I think has a very very strong foothold in the marketplace. Great. I would invest in the new New Hope team. I thought you guys. I, wow. I was really, and I, I'm being gen, I'm being genuinely honest. I, I um, I, I should really, have said that. I was really, mo- I was really inspired by uh, how passionate you guys are about these these products um, and these stories. So I really admire and respect that. Well, you know, I thank you. That's that's really kind of you to say. I mean, you know, we um, I've been kind of managing the Next Eat program for about three years now and was obviously involved in it before. And there's so much inspiration that comes to us from the brands, you know, whether or not they make it, whether or not they get into a lot of stores or just into one store. I mean, we just learned so much from them and from what they're doing and the great work that they're doing in pushing forward those, you know, innovation, inspiration, integrity. We talk about all the time with the next Eve, but I also learn so much every time I always kind of go into thinking, oh, I learned so much every time from the guest judges that we bring in, from people that just bring so many valuable insights and expertise. And I think that that's for us why it's so important to have those other viewpoints as we go through the judging process. So thank you both so much for being here today. It was just so fun. And more tomorrow. Yeah, thank you so much. Super excited. (laughs) We're going to do what's some like really weird category we're going to do first thing in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, come up. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Is the time for the list? Unfathomable. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, people, we are sitting here with Jessica, uh, as always, who cannot stop making foie puns. 
which forget about it. I actually really appreciate and love. <laughs> Never change. <laughs> so given that, maybe I'm going to just kick things off with the list with, I don't know if I've mentioned it in this episode at all, 5,000 times, Prime Roots Koji Foie Gras Dorjon. Dorjon? That was kind of more spent. Dorjon. I don't know. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but I liked it. Okay, so think about foie gras. It's delicious, but... Not the most ethical thing to eat. Kind of, you know, breaks everyone's so heart they to eat. Say. Yes, they say. So this is a plant-based, well, plant-based, it's koji-based foie gras from Prime Roots, and it is unforgettable. It really is. This certified B Corp has somehow created this product that tastes exactly like foie gras, but it's not. Nothing to feel guilty about. It's crazy. It's crazy. How close it is. It's yeah. delicious. So if you don't like foie gras, like if you don't even like the taste of it, probably don't have this. Product. Yeah, because it tastes exactly the same. <laughs> it is a little bit sweeter. Yes. But it tastes exact. I mean, it's it's amazing. I've yeah. been taking it to all of my friends and relatives and just making them taste it. And they love it. While I watch Do them. Like I don't know if they like it. me watching them. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a little uncomfortable, but let's move on. Okay, let's move on. All right. This is one of my favorite companies that we came across, Gruff. I actually just had it last night. It's Ooh, I had it for breakfast. You did? Yeah. So you did the sweet version. What'd you put in yours? Quit. We got to take a minute for this. Yeah, I did actually put a little bit of salty butter. Just okay. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Salt, because I like salt. And then I put a little bit of, um, oh my gosh, what's that brand that has that incredible granola? Um, Struis. Struisley? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I put some Struisley granola on top, and it's got tiger nuts and um chia seeds and almonds it was so good well that sounds so good so i had mine last night and i did i went the savory route we cooked up some like farm fresh veggies and put those on top with some nutritional yeast in there and a little bit of balsamic it was so good that sounds great but basically this is a new take on grits ancient grain grits and gruff basically creates like this kind of like, I would say it's a heartier and healthier feeling of eating grits. And they use farro. So um, really cool to see kind of reimagining or disrupting this category that's been around forever. It's a farmer brand. The farro is sourced from a single multi-generational farm that's based in Montana. And they're really focused on soil health and regenerative agriculture. They have the regenerative organic certification. And definitely we see that in the finished product, the nutrient density, and the fact that they just trace their really simple, delicious product all the way back to their farm is really cool. You feel like you get to know them. And I just would have this morning, noon, and night, breakfast tomorrow. Yeah, you should try it. It's really well. So speaking of farmer brands, another um, product I loved at the Nexies was the mushroom pesto from Smallhold. Now, there was a little bit of debate among the judges on whether or not we should really be calling it pesto because essentially it's, they've taken the, this. so this is a brand, it's farmers. They typically sell fresh mushrooms um, in those really cute little um, cardboard containers. Oh, I don't know yes, if you've ever seen yes, those. Yes, so yes, cute. Yes, yeah. So what they do here is they take kind of the leftover, the ugly mushrooms, they make them into this pesto. They- All mushrooms are pretty ugly, though. I do just want to say. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't agree. But okay. 
Um, so each of these little containers has a half pound of organic mushrooms. They come from the company's mushroom farms, which are in Austin, LA, and Brooklyn. They The mushrooms are combined with these savory aromatics. You could use it as a pasta sauce. You could put a couple spoonfuls in a soup or any kind of a sauce. Just so delicious. What an intense, amazing flavor. It's a really new product. So it is going to be organic certified because nice. the farms are all organic certified as well. Um, and then it comes in plastic neutral packaging. So such a great product. Such a great product. I love that they have their, they're growing their mushrooms in like three of the best places. I know. <laughs> like Austin, also in London, Paris, Tokyo. No. All right. The farming, farmland. <laughs> Next up, we have Better Being Co. Sol the Solaray brand. Oh, I love uh, this. Uh, her life stages perimenopause product. Her life stages basically has a product for women in all different life stages that meets their unique needs. So it's essentially the trend that we've been talking about for months now of how companies are really meeting the needs of women at various ages of different demographics. And this particular one is focused on an often underrepresented or ignored stage of life, which is perimenopause. Yeah. So that definitely caught our attention. In addition to the perimenopause, they also have a menopause, postmenopause, libido. They have a PMS formula. So the line is really complete. And I've start just started actually taking these products. I won't tell you which one. <laughs> But not that there's a taboo, mind you. And they address mood, sleep. This particular product addresses mood, sleep, blood sugar support, hormonal balance, and hot flashes. So yes. very cool. Okay. And then I'm going to wrap things up with Sir Thrival Black Walnut Protein Powder. So this was a product that the judges really loved. The idea is that it's it's all about foraging. So this brand relies on, you know, family members, friends, community members in Missouri, which I guess is a place where a lot of these black walnut trees grow. And they collect the black walnuts and then they're fairly paid, paid fairly by the pound for their harvest. And then the wall is transferred to this third generation family owned business in Missouri in the heart of black walnut country. And this protein powder is just black walnuts. And I love that. And and then also they talk about the fact that it's habitat friendly, no agricultural land, no irrigation, it's not farmed. So it's really a planet forward story, but also a people forward story that really depends on the community to, to bring these, to bring this product to life. And the name's super cute, Sir Thrival. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. This will be my last one. I'm like, tra trail mix I like. Yeah. I'm a fan, generally. But this was just so different. It uses upcycled ingredients. Wait, what What product is this? Rind. Oh, rind. Oh, that remix pina colada? Yes. That was so good. Oh, now you're into it. What had salty pineapple? It's salty pineapple. It was just like it tasted different from any. So we talked about this a lot. We were like, you know, sometimes these staple categories just need a refresh. Mm -hmm. And this was a product that brought new flavors and then also used its upcycled pineapple coconut crisps and dry roasted cashews so the ingredients are upcycled so it has that sustainability aspect about it but really i just liked how it tasted yeah it was really delicious yeah. yeah okay well stay tuned to find out who wins the next days 
Do you like recording this podcast? I really do. In fact, I like it so much, I'm probably going to get rich and quit my day job. Don't do that. People get rich from making podcasts. Some people do, yeah. I love this podcast too. And if you like it and have been listening and like what you hear, please do subscribe and like it. Yes. Want to be on The Naturalist? Send us an email at thenaturalist at newhope.com.